Hello everyone, welcome to episode 46 of SAMA. SAMA is a series where we invite an expert to talk about their area of expertise. This week we are fortunate to have Dr. Marco Ruggiero as our guest expert. He's going to talk to us about several subjects this week. He's going to talk to us about relativistic time dilation as it applies to the level of DNA. Uh, Marco uh, Ruggiero was born in Fiorenz, Italy in 1956. He graduated from the School of Medicine in 1980. He has a PhD in molecular biology and a specialization in diagnostic radiology. He served in the Army as a medical officer and between 84 and 86 he worked in the laboratory of cellular and molecular biology at Burroughs Welcome Company where he published a paper in PEAS sponsored by uh, Nobel Laureate Sir John Vane. He worked at the National Cancer Institute, at the National Institutes of Health in Bethesda, MD, where he performed research in oncogenes and uh, signal transduction. And then returned to Italy as a professor of molecular biology at the University of Rennes until his retirement in 2014. And he moved to Arizona in 2015. He's the inventor of the probiotic yogurt Bravo and its derivatives. He's also invented Rerum, a powerful non-protein microphage activating factor, and has developed the Ruggiero Clean Heart Protocol. So during this interview, Dr. Marco Ruggiero will share relativistic time dilation, how to improve efficacy of DNA vaccines, Alzheimer's disease and brain aging, and as well as the HIV infection. So welcome. Marco, thank you so much for coming um, to our to show. Thank you so much, John. Uh, thank you for this beautiful invite. Uh, I see from your background that uh, at your place is already morning, uh, probably Friday morning. In my place, uh, you can see the light is dimming because uh, it's almost 7 p.m. in Arizona. So we are separated by several hours of time zones. Yes. Nevertheless, I hope uh, to give a talk tonight, uh, or this morning for you, <laughs> tonight for me, uh, that will catch your uh, attention. So if you don't mind, I will begin sharing my screen so that you can see these slides that I have prepared for this talk. Just give me a second. Wonderful. I guess this time difference between us is not time dilation. <laughs> no, no, I don't think so because we are both stationary. We are not moving. <laughs> All right. Uh, so now you should be able to see my first slide with the title. That is exactly what you were mentioning, relativistic time dilation and biological quantum entanglement as they relate to health and disease. Yes. And Mark Ruggiero is me, and my affiliation, even though I live in Arizona, is still my research and development company that is called Silver Spring, and it is located in the mountain, uh, mountains of Switzerland. So if everything is okay, if uh, technicalities uh, don't bother us, uh, we can start, can't we? Yes, absolutely. Nice and clear. All right. So, before I start, first of all, I wish to thank you, to thank Mr. Sam, so all the organizers for this opportunity to share my latest research in the field of relativistic time dilation and biological quantum entanglement 
as they relate to health and disease. And of course, I don't know who is listening to us, but nevertheless, I wish to thank all the attendees for the attention they will want to dedicate to this talk of mine. Another important thing before I start, and this is very important to remind, that the contents of this presentation are only for informational purposes. They are not intended to be substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. And again, this presentation does not provide medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. And since I am here in Arizona, you are on the other side of the world and people can be listening to us from any place in the world, please check with your national or state or provincial health authorities for the current legal situation concerning applications of approaches that will be described in this talk. And also I wish to disclose by conflict of interest, potential conflict of interest that you will see does not apply, will not apply to this presentation tonight. In any case, for those who are interested, I am the founder and CEO of this company called Silver Spring in Switzerland. It is dedicated to research, development and production of advanced microbiome-based probiotics. And as you say, I'm the inventor of Rayron Bravo, its derivatives and a number of other supplements and remedies that nevertheless will not be mentioned in this talk tonight. Now, as you said, uh, we all realize, and I fully realize, that today's talk may be particularly difficult to follow. And I apologize in advance if some or many of the concepts that will be described will look abstruse or far removed from the daily concerns of fighting severe grave diseases such as cancer, Alzheimer's disease, AIDS, or autism. However, I can guarantee you the no understanding and therefore no real cure for disease is possible if we do not take into account the concepts that I'm about to describe. And today I shall describe our latest achievements in understanding the role of concepts that pertain to the Einstein's theory of relativity and quantum physics as they relate to health and disease. You probably know that Einstein's theory of relativity is more than 100 years old and also quantum physics is rather old, more than 100 years. But their application or their uh, implications in bio biology and medicine are very, very novel. Now, the starting point of this talk and all these concepts is a peer review paper I published a few months ago in the Journal of Neurology and Stroke. And just to give you a frame of reference, the Journal of Neurology and Stroke is an internationally accepted peer-reviewed multidisciplinary access, open access journal which deals with the study and development in stroke and neurology. Now, uh, as you know, uh, the reputation of a scientific journal depends on the quality and reputation of the members of the editorial board. And you can find uh, members, a scientist associated with the most prestigious uh, public and private institutions, such as the University of Saarland, Germany, Novartis, a famous big pharma, University of Texas, Tuft University in the USA, Stanford, Princeton Brain and Spine Care in the USA, and also Tokyo Metropolitan Institute of Medical Science, Neurological Neurosurgical Hospital, Wertheimer in France, and many others. So we're talking about sort of a gotha of uh, scientists and researchers working in the field of neurology, psychiatry, and stroke. Now, uh, what did I write in this paper that was published uh, on the 21st of November of last year, so only a few months away? 
Well, as it is written in the abstract, in this paper I discuss the consequences arising from a recent publication of a paper written by me describing a novel procedure that was designed to improve the efficacy of DNA vaccines in areas as diverse as Alzheimer's disease, HIV infection, and cancer. And in this paper, I discuss how this procedure may induce relativistic time dilation at the level of DNA, which may lead to unimaginable consequences. Because as we slow down the passing of time at the level of DNA, everything about biology and medicine will be revolutionized. Cells will have time to repair damages to the genome and the epigenome, that is gene expression. Disease will be cured before they manifest themselves and humans will be hopefully entitled to live without age. So as you can see in this paper, I refer, I refer to a previous paper, and that's uh, the one I'm referring to that was published in the BioAccent Open Journal of HIV. And this paper refers to a novel method to enhance immune responses induced by HIV DNA vaccination. Now, you may know that uh, HIV vaccination is a very hot uh, debated controversial topic because it's now 27, 28 years of lost count that uh, scientists are looking for a DNA, for an HIV vaccine, but every time there is a disappointment. Now, uh, very recently, uh, the end, toward the end of 2017, a research group from St. Petersburg, actually from the State Research Institute of Highly Pure Biopreparations, uh, in the Biomedical Center of Peter the Great of the, the Polytechnic University and the Pavlov State Medical University of St. Petersburg in Russia, they published a seminal paper reporting for the very first time 100% immune responses in a trial using a, a novel HIV DNA vaccine that they had developed. So we didn't develop any HIV DNA vaccine, they did. What we did and what we wrote in this paper was a novel procedure that uh, uh, represents a novel method to overcome all current limitations of DNA vaccination, not only in HIV, but also in cancer or Alzheimer's. And because the procedure that we have invented is not specific for a particular DNA sequence, this can be applied to a variety of conditions. Oh, let me say something that I forgot to mention before, but it's very important. Yeah. All the papers, all the peer-reviewed scientific papers I will be quoting and showing today, they are all in the open access. Mm -hmm. So if you miss something, uh, don't worry. You can download all these papers for free. The papers, uh, the paper by the Russians describing their vaccine, my papers, all the papers I've been publishing in the past few years, they're all in the open access. So you can download them, uh, look at them, criticize them. I'll be happy to receive the criticism as long as it is constructive. <laughs> so here, here we uh, design a procedure to maximize the efficiency of these vaccines. So that was our starting point. Yes. And for those of you who may be interested in my previous work on HIV and AIDS, I recommend you read a paper I published together with Peter Duesberg, uh, Henry Bauer, and many others in 2011 in the Italian Journal of Anatomy and Embryology describing uh, this, the current status, or at least the status in 2011, of the AIDS epidemics since 1984. And also, should you be interested in my work on HIV, 
Uh, also this paper, which is uh, freely available, uh, describes a novel approach, approach to a gene that is involved in aging, premature aging, in particular in HIV, because as we know, premature aging represents a serious problem for people living with HIV. Yes. Uh, they age prematurely, both because of the uh, uh, chronic activation of the immune system and also because of the drugs. And because of this, we developed uh, this uh, method targeting this anti-aging gene. And then we found out uh, that this uh, may work in aging in general. So not only in people with HIV, but also in the general population. I will be talking about this later on. And uh, the conclusion of this paper is that uh, we have found a way to uh, have the friendly microbes of the microbiome. I think, so. I think by now everybody knows that we are made more by microbes than by human cells. So uh, these microbes, uh, they enhanced a particular molecule that is called chondroitin sulfate. And this leads to restoration of the expression of this gene, CLOTO, that is an anti-aging, through a mechanism that is uh, pure biochemistry, mimics histone deacid acetylation, and induces relativistic time dilation. That is uh, the topic of our talk today. Again, you can read in detail uh, everything that is written in this paper, should you be willing to download it. Now, let's go back to the topic of today's talk, relativistic time dilation. What it is? It is a form of time dilation. Uh, the flow of time is not fixed. One minute here on Earth is, uh, can run faster or slower depending whether you are up in the sky or closer to the center of Earth. And this was demonstrated, well, was postulated more than 100 years ago and demonstrated several times. So it is an actual difference of elapsed time between two events as it is measured by observers situated at varying distances from a gravitational mass, let's say the center of Earth for simplicity. So the higher the gravitational potential, which means the farther the clock is from the source of gravitation, the higher the clock is on the sky, uh, the faster time passes. So uh, when you are far away from the center of a hertz, uh, then your clock ticks faster. And this was predicted in the theory of relativity by Einstein, who was described in 1907 and confirmed beginning from 1959. So this has been measured many, many times using atomic clocks on airplanes. So the clocks aboard the airplanes were faster than the clocks on the ground because airplanes are up in the sky and the clocks on the ground, of course, they're closer to the center of Earth. So they have more, uh, they are, are subjected to more gravity. Now, this effect is not something exotic that is of interest only of those who study the theory of relativity. If you want to find your way back home nowadays, you use your GPS. And your GPS or navigation system works exactly because it takes into account these time differences between the clocks up on the, in the satellites up in the sky and the clock that is in your car that is much closer to the center of Earth. So they have to adjust this every second or maybe even every millisecond. Otherwise, you will lose your way. Now, there is no uh, reason, however, to go up into the sky to observe these differences. In this paper that was published in 2010, so we're talking about well-sedimented 
uh, scientific concept in the journal Science, uh, height differences of less than one meter have been experimentally verified in the laboratory. In other words, whether you sit on the floor or you sit on your chair, so there is only half a meter of difference, your clock will tick differently. That is, if you, let's say, stand up on the table as uh, you do when you're drunk and you're in a pub or in, this, or in a disco, up there, time goes much faster. And as I wrote in this uh, journal, there is no need to go up in the sky to observe differences in time flow. Relativistic time dilation or gravitational time dilation is the same thing is observable even at much smaller scales. Climbing on a chair speeds the passing of time as elegantly demonstrated by that paper. Now, if gravity-induced time dilation is observable at scales measure, measured in centimeters, it is not surprising that it may work also at the microscopic level, if not down to the Planck scale. And in the case of the procedure described in my paper, time dilation is to be expected at the level of DNA. But before discussing how relativistic time dilation may affect the properties of DNA and therefore health and disease, let me introduce two other concepts. A deeper level of information in DNA and biological quantum entanglement. I think everybody knows by now, even looking at movies or fictions, CSI, uh, they check for DNA every, every night. Uh, since 1953, Watson and Crick demonstrated that DNA contains the biological information, the code of life, as they say, in the sequence of the chemical nitrogen bases uh, commonly referred to as ATCG, adenine, thymine, uh, cytosine, and guanine. Uh, there was a movie years ago called Gattaca, which is uh, a sequence of bases. Now, uh, this has been very well known, demonstrated uh, hundreds of thousands of times, so no discussion, no controversy here. In 2016, working together with colleagues in Italy, we wrote in the prestigious Encyclopedia of Cancer that DNA <coughs> may also, in addition to this code discovered by Watson and Crick, may also receive, process, retain, and transmit signals of another nature. It is under the form of electromagnetic waves, radio signals, because DNA works as a fractal antenna, as it was demonstrated by Blank in 2011, and here you have the reference. Now, the concept of DNA as an antenna, just like the one you have on your car radio or the one you have on your old radio, opens fascinating perspectives that go far beyond the fields of neurology or oncology or HIV or Alzheimer's disease. And we will talk about this later. But now let me touch the other concept that I wanted to mention, biological quantum entanglement. This now becomes rather difficult or spooky, as Einstein used to call this effect. Actually, he called quantum entanglement as a spooky action at distance, and he meant to be derogatory because he said, you know, it's so unbelievable that it cannot be. I mean, these are ghosts, these are spirits. It cannot be, can, can't be something real. Actually, it is real. Erwin Schrödinger talked about entanglement in the same article, the famous one where he described 
the famous thought experiment as the Schrodinger cat that is a dead and alive at the same time. And as a matter of fact, again, just like gravitational time dilation, this is something that works in daily life. And scientists that they use nowadays quantum entanglement for many different purposes, such as sending uh, completely secret messages, encryption, making computer faster than before. The quantum computers are a reality. And it is an area, quantum entanglement, uh, that is extremely active in the physics community. And its effects have been demonstrated over the decades with photons originally, neutrinos, electrons, molecules as big as buckyballs and diamonds. The diamonds used in an engagement ring, well, they show signs of entanglement. Uh, still, you don't know what entanglement is, and I will explain it in a couple of slides. In particular, I will explain how entanglement works also with animals and humans. So we are moving toward the field of quantum biology and quantum medicine, from quantum physics to quantum medicine. And quantum biology actually represents a fascinating and novel field where the effects of quantum physics are observed in biological processes ranging from human consciousness, photosynthesis, bird navigation without GPS, you don't need it because they use quantum entanglement to navigate, and DNA function. Uh, in Tucson, Arizona, three hours southeast from where I'm sitting right now, uh, there is a prestigious institute led by an extremely brilliant scientist, Professor Stu Amarov, who in 2014 wrote this uh, seminal article, you can find in PubMed, uh, describing how uh, quantum effects are at the basis of consciousness. So uh, quantum physics provides a conceptual framework to understand our consciousness work. Uh, and also this paper published in May 2017 describes quantum effects in biology, again in enzyme faction, olfaction, photosynthesis, magneto detection, that is bird navigation. And the avian compass works through quantum entanglement, but most interesting, and I would say truly spooky, uh, if you think uh, in detail, is this paper that was published just a few weeks ago on the 15th of February by radiologists. Uh, I used to be a radiologist when I was uh, working as a medical doctor, so uh, that, that's why I take a look from time to time to my old love of radiology. So this is a paper written by radiologists who were looking for biological responses to radiations. And uh, they ended up with results that probably they couldn't believe themselves. The title doesn't tell much. The title is not dramatic. Biological entanglement-like effect after communication of fish prior to X-ray exposure. So you may think, well, who cares about uh, exposing a fish to X-rays? I mean, we have better things to do, and definitely we have. But the uh, results of this paper are truly game-changing. They're so uh, spooky, they're so strange that these are their words. At first sight, the results may seem beyond strange. So not, not even strange, beyond strange. But the robust and well-tested assays require some consideration and explanation. So they say, please believe us. So we know that the results are unbelievable, but we have done all the experiments. We have run all the controls. So what did they do? 
let me slow down because this is the core of my talk. First of all, let me tell you that when you send X-rays or any other harmful radiations uh, to cells, uh, to organisms, fish or humans, you have a response because of course uh, the body or the cells, they feel that these uh, energies are harmful and they respond by producing certain proteins that have a protective effect. Think about tanning. You expose your skin to the sun. Mm. Uh, the sun has UV radiations that are harmful, so the body responds in a protective manner by producing melanin. Melanin is a pigment, so it shields the radiations. The same happens, not with melanin, but with other proteins. Uh, melanin is a pigment. The same happens when you expose animals or humans to x-rays. They used x-rays because uh, they could regulate, they could very precisely tune the amount of energy they were erogating. So what did they do? They were looking for biological responses to x-rays that are well known, well characterized, so we perfectly know what happens when you irradiate in this case a fish, which proteins you look for, which proteins will be produced with the intent of protecting the fish. Right. So in this tank called A, they have 20 rainbow trouts. They repeated the experiments with other fish that were separated by millions of years of evolution and the results were always the same. Oh. So here you have a tank with 20 rainbow trouts. And here we have a tank with other 20 rainbow trouts. The two tanks are completely separated from each other in different rooms, they have no way to communicate. They irradiate, they send X-rays to these 20 rainbow trout in this tank and they leave this fish alone in peace. Then they let the fish, the two types of fish, swim together for two hours in a common tank that is, however, separated by a mesh. So, uh, they are swimming in the same tank, but they cannot touch each other because they're separated by the mesh. And then after two hours, they separate the fish again. Those that had been irradiated, they go in this tank here in a room, and the other that had not been irradiated, they go in this tank here in another room. Now, what would you expect? You expect to see production of protective proteins in the fish irradiated. And that's exactly what is supposed to happen. But strangely enough, you see production of the same protective proteins in the same identical amount also in the fish that had not been irradiated. Gosh. What is the explanation? Uh, the explanation is difficult conceptually difficult, but still within the realm of logics. Now, the, the two uh, types or the two groups of fish, when they swim together, those that have been irradiated, sent some sort of a signal. We don't know which one, uh, maybe could be behavior, maybe could be molecule extremely diluted up to the point that they mention memory of water. We don't know, in any case. They swim together, and in these two hours, it is as if, with a remarkable altruistic spirit, those fish that have been irradiated told to the other, oh, look, look what has happened to us. Uh, please be prepared, 
produce your protective proteins because, you know, just in case the experimenter wants to irradiate you too, so you're ready. Uh, we don't know how they communicated this, but they did communicate this because now the fish in the tank B, they have not been irradiated, nevertheless, they are protected. Well, you understand that now these fish, they have an enormous advantage because they are protected against something that has not happened and may happen, should it happen, they are protected. It is as if, uh, let's make another example, uh, these fish had been hit by bullets and they had survived and they tell to these other fish, uh, be careful, you know, there could be a hailstorm of bullets, uh, wear a bulletproof vest. And they wear a bulletproof vest, so they're protected should the bullets come. Until now, everything is uh, still within the realm of logics. What happens next is not, is beyond strange. In the tank A, the same 20 rainbow trout or the same 20 zebra fish live in peace. In a tank B, same type of fish live in peace. None of them is irradiated. Then they swim together for two hours in the same mesh divided tank or container. Then those that had been were in the tank A are irradiated. And of course, they show the response they are supposed to show. But strangely enough, very strangely enough, also those that have not been irradiated now show the same identical response. There is absolutely no way to explain this unless we resort to quantum entanglement. They write, they know that uh, things are unbelievable and they write, uh, communication from these irradiated fish both before, and the key word here is before and after, they had been exposed to a 0.5 gray X-ray dose, resulted in largely beneficial proteomic responses in those that were not irradiated. Now, please be careful, follow the words. These results suggest that some form of anticipation of a stressor. Uh, Madame Zorain, palm reading here, could say something. Anticipation of a stressor may occur leading to a preconditioning effect or temporally displaced awareness after the fish had become entangled. Temporally displaced awareness simply means to see things in the future and adapt accordingly. So this is uh, the best they could do to write in acceptable scientific terms what uh, Madame Zora, when she reads your palm and tells what will happen <laughs> to your lifeline, is doing in less scientific terms. Now, this clearly defies logics. The consecutio temporum, that is uh, one thing happen after the other. The cause happens uh, uh, before the effect. And everything we know about the world and how it works uh, uh, undergoes uh, scrutiny after these results. Mm -hmm. However, you should not be surprised too much if the rainbow trout responded to events that had not occurred, just as you should not be fooled by the idea that the cause comes before the effect or that things occur in an orderly manner. 
yesterday before today, today before tomorrow. Because in the realm of quantum physics or quantum biology, here and there, now and then, have no meaning. But there is more. Not even time is real. And this actually is a rather old concept. Because in the 5th century before Christ, in Greece, Antiphon the Sophist held that time is not a reality, a hypostasis, but a concept, a nema, or a measured metron. Parmenides, who came after, went further, maintaining that time, motion, and change were illusions. And this led to the famous paradoxes of Achilles and the turtle of his follower Zeno. Time as an illusion is also a common theme in Buddhist thought. And when Michele Besson, an Ita Swiss Italian engineer who used to work together with Einstein when Einstein were working at the patent office, died in 1955, Einstein wrote a letter of condolence that was written less than a month before his own death. And this reads, now that he, Besson, has departed from this strange world a little ahead of me, that signifies nothing. For those of us who believe in physics, the distinction between past, present, and future is only a stubbornly persistent illusion. And if you want to further go into this fascinating field, I suggest you read, also this is in the Open Access, a paper that Kurt Gödel wrote in, I think it was 1949, uh, for the celebration of Einstein's 75th uh, birthday, where he gave a new example uh, of an example of a new type of cosmological solutions of Einstein's field equations of gravitation that Einstein himself had not a thought about this, where he clearly and very elegantly demonstrated that you can get, go back and forth through time, uh, sort of like the movie that came many decades after Back to the Future, and this is absolutely coherent with or consistent with the theory of relativity. But let's go back to biology, and let's go back to biological quantum entanglement. In this case, the quantum entanglement between the electrons or the electron clouds of the nucleic acids, and because this is of particular interest for its implication in the ability of DNA to work as an antenna, that is to retain, process, transmit information under the form of radio signals, radio waves. Uh, this is another paper you may read from the Cornell University Library, where they talk about uh, quantum entanglement between the electron clouds of nucleic acids in DNA. And let me describe uh, briefly the role of biological quantum entanglement as it relates to a field of research where we are actively engaged, that is autism and other neurological or psychiatric conditions. This is a paper, again, uh, freely downloadable, that was published on the 23rd of March of this year. So. Uh, just a few days ago, on the impact of quantum biology and relativistic time dilation as it relates to autism. Because here uh, we describe the role of quantum entanglement and consciousness, or to be more precise, self-consciousness and consciousness of the external world. You, you know, these are two different things. I may be or I should be aware of who I am and what I'm doing now. And I also I should be aware of where I am and what is the world doing around me and adapt accordingly. Now, uh, in the field of autism, as well as many other neurological conditions, psychiatric conditions, this is very relevant because sometimes uh, there is a disconnection. Uh, the very word autism implies this because uh, it was firstly used, uh, autismus in German, 
1912, when a Swiss psychiatrist, Paul Bloyle, coined the word from the Greek word autos, which means self, and the suffix ismos, which means uh, action or state, and when combined, he meant morbid self-absorption, which uh, unfortunately describes quite well the symptoms of autism. Now, uh, let's go back to my good friend Stuart Amiroff and Sir Roger Penrose. Sir Roger Penrose is that Sir Roger Penrose works uh, in, well, I don't know whether he's retired now because he shouldn't be so young. In England, he's the famous physicist who has written many books. And they uh, wrote a paper in 2014, Consciousness in the Universe. And uh, they, they wrote this, that consciousness implies awareness, subjective, phenomenal experience of internal and external worlds. And consciousness also implies a sense of self, feeling, choice, control of voluntary behavior, memory, thought, language. And when we close our eyes or meditate, also internally generated images and geometric patterns. But what consciousness actually is remains unknown, is what they write. And our view of reality, of the universe, of ourselves, depends on consciousness. Consciousness defines our own existence. And according to them, it depends on biologically orchestrated or entangled, if you prefer, coherent quantum processes in collections of microtubules within brain neurons. So let me tell you what microtubules are. Microtubules are protein structures inside the cells. So inside the cells, we have a nucleus with DNA, and we have the cytoplasm with a number of proteins. The microtubules are part of what is called the cytoskeleton, like the skeleton of the cell. And the microtubules are tubules, and through these tubules, you have a neurotransmitter like dopamine, serotonin, GABA, adrenaline, noradrenaline, and so on, that go through these uh, little tubules inside the neurons. And of course, they're essential for connecting uh, these cells inside our brains and ultimately for all our thought processes. Now, these quantum processes in the microtubules correlate with and regulate neuronal and synaptic and membrane activity. And according to them, conscious experience, that is what we feel, what we realize more than what we feel, is intrinsically connected to the fine-scale structure of space-time geometry. And consciousness could be deeply related to the operation of the laws of the universe. And Hameroff and Penrose, they emphasize the role of these neuronal microtubules. You can see a schematic representation here. Uh, and a tubule in the protein that makes uh, the microtubules as the physical substrate. So we're not talking about things that have no physical substrate. They're real things, they're big molecules. You can look them under a microscope. And these are responsible for the quantum effects that put the phenomena of consciousness at the very central place in the physical nature of our universe. So our universe is consciousness and all these goes back to biological quantum entanglement probably these molecules and a few others. Whether or not we are talking about this universe or eons or other than just our own universe. Again, you can read everything. I think it's a very fascinating reading by Hameroff and Penrose. And they highlight the role of the resonance of microtubules. 
And uh, we worked in this field uh, at about the same time as Amarov using ultrasounds. The same ultrasounds used for diagnosis, ultrasounds in the megahertz range, that is uh, the range of resonance of microtubules, as uh, how they modify mental states, possibly through quantum interference. This is a paper that two Amarov and colleagues published in Brain Stimulation in 2013, and they found improvement in subjective mood 10 minutes and 40 minutes after giving ultrasounds to subjects with chronic pain compared to placebo. And so they postulate that transcranial ultrasonography or transcranial ultrasounds is a promising non-invasive therapy for modulating conscious and unconscious mental states and disorders. And they suggest that they work through uh, microtubules uh, through phenomena of quantum entanglement. At about the same time, uh, well, actually it was one year earlier, in June 2012, uh, we were working on a chronic fatigue syndrome or myalgic encephalomyelitis. And we observed the very, very similar results that we published in this peer review journal in 2012, uh, demonstrating how the ultrasounds were able to modulate the consciousness and the symptoms in that case in subject with the chronic fatigue syndrome. So the hypothesis I'm proposing here is fairly simple and it is based on the published research that I've quoted before. Consciousness is based on quantum phenomena and their physical substrate is in these microtubules. Now DNA that is also there in neurons and in all cells of the body with the exception of red blood cells and platelets, DNA retains, transmits and processes signals through quantum phenomena. Now point is that the microtubules, they don't come out of the sky. Microtubules are coded for by DNA. So microtubules, they reflect the information that is in DNA. And since, and because of these, the information in the microtubules, which is the consciousness, is entangled at the quantum level with that of DNA. And I'm sure you remember the paper on the fish, so how things are so interconnected. And in autism, that was our primary field of research when we were doing this observation, as well as in other diseases, there is a loss or an alteration of this quantum entanglement. In other words, in much simpler words, all diseases, they happen because there is an alteration in the communication within the cells, within the brain, within the body, and so on. And we can move on to the social scale, like the fish. There is a lack of communication, lack of consciousness of ourselves and the surrounding world. Point is that, okay, let's assume that all this is true. And what can we do with this information? So how can we restore the physiological quantum entanglement? And again, I will refer mainly to autism because that's our main field of research, but this can be applied at least conceptually to all other diseases. We need two elements. One is a way to reestablish quantum entanglement between DNA and microtubules. And the second element is or are molecules designed to facilitate such an entanglement. <clears throat> Ultrasounds can be a means and they are active, actively explored. There are projects by the DARPA, DARPA is the Department of, the, of um, Advanced, uh, uh, sorry, 
Department of Advanced Research Defense, not Department, Defense Advanced Research Project Agency of the Pentagon, the US military. So uh, they do very, very advanced research and they're working on ultrasounds and how they can affect positively brain function and many other bodies function. So uh, we published uh, something in this context in 2015, just before I left uh, the University of Florence, the effects of ultrasounds on neurons. So we need, uh, we need ways to re-establish quantum entanglement between DNA and microtubules. Ultrasounds can be a way, can be a means. And we use ultrasounds with great success in this Ruggiero Klinger protocol that started with Lyme disease, chronic or persistent Lyme disease, and then we found out that they were very useful in conditions as diverse as autism, cancer, and neurological disease. Also, this paper is freely available through the American Journal of Immunology website. It was published at the beginning of 2017. So if you're interested in persistent Lyme, please take a look at this protocol, maybe of some interest for you. And it is based on this observation. Now we have built a machine that does not work, on, does not use ultrasounds. Ultrasounds are very useful, but we have gone beyond. And this machine uh, re-establishes quantum entanglement. Quite obviously, it's not it's a very ancient machine I found on Wikipedia, just uh, to uh, have a, a picture of a, a common machine. In other words, this machine that we have built and will be soon presented uh, restores the correct flow of information through quantum entanglement. And this concept and this machine, uh, at least uh, not completely, but briefly, they are described in this paper that was published uh, truly a few days ago on the 4th of April of 2018. So today is the 12th, so only four, eight days ago in the uh, Open Journal of Cardiology and Heart Diseases, again uh, in the open access, and this is entitled How Quantum Biology Can Eradicate Heart Diseases, and I uh, go a little bit beyond, and I would say all diseases. Uh, you can read by yourself, so since I've been talking now for uh, more than 45 minutes, and I know that the span of human attention is about 40 minutes, I will not uh, uh, read it all, but simply let me read the final words I wrote, and of course uh, we are always in love with what we write. Uh, devices operating at the quantum level and able to realign quantum entanglement are being developed. Actually, they are already developed. And it is foreseeable that integration of the approach described in the previous papers of mine and the fields generated by these type of devices will provide a way to prevent and cure diseases at the quantum level thus paving the way for a completely novel approach to medicine that is completely different from what we have done thus far with pharmacology. What about the second element? Molecules designed to facilitate such an entanglement. We already have them, and these are proprietary molecules that are modified by microbes because we are all entangled with microbes because the microbes were born before us 3.8 billion years ago on this earth. We all derive from those primordial microbial cells. And these molecules are processed and entangled by microbes bind the DNA and microtubules, and they facilitate quantum entanglement, and they induce relativistic time dilation. Because they bind to the microtubules and DNA, and they work as a little hurt. That is, they induce gravitational effects. Uh, 
because of their charge, because of the electromagnetic fields associated with them. Everything is explained in those papers. And this leads to slowing down passing of time at the level of DNA. And as I've said before, this gives time to cells to repair mutations, exploiting the well-known repair mechanisms that have evolved over the course of millions of years. And these will prevent the onset and development of diseases and aging. And not surprisingly, now everything comes together as it should be in a talk with, about quantum entanglement where everything is entangled and connected. Time itself is a side effect of quantum entanglement. Don't believe my words. Don't even believe uh, Wikipedia at face value. But, you know, sometimes something is right in Wikipedia. So just go to Wikipedia and read about quantum entanglement and you will read that it is a side effect, time itself is a side effect of quantum entanglement. In conclusion, uh, we have demonstrated that all diseases derive from alteration or misalignment of biological quantum entanglement. Whether this occurs at the level of DNA, cytoskeletal proteins like microtubules, or neurological or social interactions, as we have recently postulated for autism. And because of these methods or procedures to restore quantum alignment may be envisaged or may be imagined to cure or prevent diseases from a perspective that is quite different from the current approaches that are based on classical pharmacology. And I know a little bit of pharmacology. As I said, I work with, uh, for Barros Welcome and other pharma industry. So I know what uh, drugs and chemistry does. And this is different. In this regard, we have developed approaches that are aimed at restoring the quantum entanglement within the cells of one's body. At the same time, devices operating at the quantum level and able to realign quantum entanglement are being developed, those machines that I was mentioning before. And we can hypothesize that the integration of the approach described in our recent study with the fields generated by this type of devices will provide a way to prevent and cure disease at the quantum level, thus paving the way for a completely novel approach to medicine. And that was the last slide. And with this beautiful picture I took at the Salt River Canyon, which is a nice place. Nobody knows, everybody knows about the Grand Canyon. Nobody knows about this. Fortunately, I must say, so it's not crowded. <laughs> I thank you for your time and attention. And I hope that I made something extremely spooky and beyond strange, a little bit more understandable. Thank you so much. Thank, thank you so much for explaining a very, very difficult subject. I've got a few questions, um, Dr. Marco, if I may ask them, please. Yes. Um, I want to ask, um, the, the, or the first thing I'd like to ask is, the amount of time that is being dilated because DNA is so small and, you know, we're talking, you know, microscopic levels, um, surely the time change will also be very, very small. Absolutely. You know, uh, DNA, it's a very, very thin, but it's very long. In every cell of our body, we have about two meters of DNA. Uh, that is, uh, um, because it is only a few angstrom uh, thin or thick. Yes. Now, the time dilation, the level of DNA, is obviously very small. We're talking about nanoseconds. Yes. But since uh, we're talking about angstrom, it's uh, still relevant. So it uh, gives uh, time to the enzymes 
that work at that level uh, to have more time to repair, gives time to the gene to be expressed more. So it's not a dramatic effect that you can observe as if time slows down by an hour or so. But just think that also the difference between the GPS on the satellite up in the sky and the one on your car is in the range of the nanoseconds. Nevertheless, if the engineers do not correct for those nanoseconds, they accumulate. And with the passing of time, you cannot find your way home if you rely upon your GPS. But it's nanoseconds when the satellites are thousands of kilometers up in the sky, or, you know, it's, it's, it's a great, great magnitude. For such a great distance, it's only nanoseconds difference. Right. Well, here uh, I realized that I, I missed uh, one point because, of course, I tried to condensate everything in uh, less than one hour. Uh, the time dilation at the level of DNA does not occurs because of gravitational effects, but not because you have a gravitational mass. It's not that DNA goes closer to the center of Earth. Uh, these are molecules that are generated by the microbes, they are highly charged. Actually, they, are, uh, they have the highest density of a negative charges that is known in nature, that is known in biology. Now, because they are highly charged, they have an enormous, enormous, uh, talking uh, always in terms of uh, nanometers, an enormous uh, electromagnetic field associated. Now, because of E equal mc square, we know that fields, electromagnetic fields, equal to mass, are like mass. So these molecules, they have mass in themselves because they are physical objects. Mm. Plus, they have these electromagnetic fields because they are the molecules with the highest concentration of, of negative charges. And in addition to this, since we are at 37, 36, 37 degrees Celsius, of course, they move. They are not uh, frozen as if we were at zero Kelvin. And because of this, they generate this magnetic field. There, there is something more. Uh, DNA is negatively charged as well. And so you have a basic protein in between, otherwise they would, uh, they would not bind to DNA. So you have a complex array of charges with complex electromagnetic field that is as if you put a gravitational attractor next to DNA. In addition to this, they don't bind DNA non-specifically. They bind the DNA site-specifically. So they, they concentrate in certain areas of DNA that are the areas that are non-acetylated, that means non-expressed. And because of this, they work uh, more or less like uh, histone deacetylase inhibitors from the pharmacological point of view. All this induces uh, time dilation that is relevant and, and accumulates over time and gives time to the cells to repair. Amazing. It's amazing. So even, even on the microscopic scale, it's got that pronounced effect. Well, it's sub-microscopic. You don't, you don't see these things under a microscope because they are smaller than what you can see even with an electron microscope. Yes, but let's say these things, they occur at the molecular level more than the microscopic. Okay. Um, the, the machines that have been created to align and perform the work, are they like building-sized machines? The equipment that has been developed now to, yes. to um, align the, um, yes. the entanglement, are they building-sized machines? Are they... Uh, so, 
Are, are you saying whether they are big? Yes, they, yes. So are they little portable devices? Uh, well, um, they are not portable uh, like a cell phone. Uh, they are big, let's say, like a dishwasher, something like this. Okay, wow. So, you know, you, you can transport them, uh, but they're not as portable as a cell phone or a portable radio. They're like an old TV set. Perhaps, perhaps in the future they'll, they'll make smaller ones and you can carry them around and keep, keep, uh, keep 21 years old for a long time. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's the goal. Uh, I am involved only marginally in this project, I know, because... But my suggestion is go and read that paper in the Open Journal of Cardiology and Heart Disease and you will find more. But uh, besides that, I know little. Well, I know the basics of how it works, but not the uh, engineering details because uh, that's a project I'm only marginally involved. Um, just uh, another question, sorry, from an online viewer. Uh, do you still agree with Dr. Peter Jewsberg in that... HIV infection is not the sole cause of AIDS. Well, um, you know, my, uh, Peter Duisberg is a very good friend of mine. Yes. I met him in, uh, that was in 1987, when he was visiting uh, the National Cancer Institute in Bethesda. I was a young researcher, I was 31 at that time, and I was fascinated by his verb, his charisma, and so on. And we've been in touch for years and years and years. But, uh, you, you know, it's a very controversial figure. I know this very well. We went through uh, a number of uh, uh, adventures together. Uh, let's say that I am in full agreement with Professor Luc Montagnier. Professor Luc Montagnier, as you may know, received uh, the Nobel Prize uh, together with a colleague of his from France for having discovered uh, the HIV. And uh, interestingly enough, the Nobel Prize was not given to Robert Gallo, who, by the way, uh, used to work at the sixth floor of the same building where uh, Peter Jusberg and myself, uh, myself as a very young postdoc, used to work because we were at the first floor, the laboratory of cellular and molecular biology, and Robert Gallo was at the sixth floor. And uh, many Italians were there in those days, so... He had a very good relationship, not with Dr. Gallon, never met him in person, but with a number of his Italian postdocs who worked in his lab. So uh, going back to Professor Luc Montagnier, Professor Luc Montagnier said and wrote more than once that you can get rid of the HIV uh, as many times as you wish, or you can encounter the HIV as many times you, you wish and get rid of it if you have a good immune system. So I think that the key word here is a good immune system. And I fully agree with the words of Professor Luc Montagnier. And as you may know, Professor Luc Montagnier, after he received his Nobel Prize, uh, he could not uh, uh, perform his research on the memory of water uh, in France. So he moved to Shanghai, I think, or somewhere in China, where they dedicated an entire research building, or maybe more than one, to his research. And I think he's still working there. So I fully agree with these works, with these words, that the key element is the immune system. And so uh, if you have a good immune system, you can get rid of HIV and you can meet it as many times as you wish. This is something that he said. Uh, I think 25 years ago, and he always uh, reconfirmed this.
So uh, let's leave uh, my good friend Peter aside and let's agree with the Nobel laureate. <laughs> you know, before we had you um, on board, we were thinking, gosh, it's a subject that's so complex, so hard to understand. And we were worried, but you've, you've put it into plain English. You've, you've, you have done a, a wonderful job in explaining time dilation on DNA level and the importance of the time dilation. Um, you've also um, opened up our eyes. Like, there's so much more out there. This cause and effect doesn't have to be in that order. <laughs> exactly. Quite, that really blows my mind, you know. That's, that's quite, quite amazing. That um, you know, something happens before the, the precursor, if you like. It's in the opposite order, and time is an illusion. These are concepts which um, humanity is going to struggle with. I can see for quite a quite a while before um, before it comes taught in schools and, and you know in regular schools. It's, it's it's an amazing topic that you've talked about, and so thank you so much for coming on our seminar series. My pleasure. And again, you can find all the information I've tried to give today in those papers that I mentioned. You're a generous man, uh, Dr. Barco, both for your time and, and your work. So thank you once again. You. Bye-bye then. He's, 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 uh, he's amazing. And so I don't know what to say. He's taught us that... Um, <laughs> that an effect can occur before the cause with the study with this uh, rainbow trout. He's taught us that small things, uh, minuscule time dilation can be used to cure diseases which are currently not responding to existing medication. And so, um, and he's brought us up to date with the very, very latest in, in, uh, in the research. So, um, Wow. Yeah, this, this is an amazing talk, one of the best we've had. So uh, thank you, Dr. Marco, for your time. And thank you, viewers, for watching. Thank you, Facebook viewers. And um, if you're watching this video after it's been put onto YouTube, please look at the references that um, Dr. Marco has given us. Um, it's intriguing. He was using, well, they were using megahertz range ultrasound to also induce entanglement so I'm gonna look that one up see how fast how many megahertz it takes in the megahertz range and see, see if it can be done with spooky so um, thank you all for watching and um, we'll, we'll, um, we'll catch up with you next week <laughs> bye bye